Yeah, Father God, Lord, I thank you for today, God, and I thank you, I thank you for this topic, God. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would challenge us in what I feel, God, you've already begun to challenge us in today, Lord, that, that we would go out of here different, God, we'd go out of here praying differently, God, we'd go out of here believing differently, and we'd go out of here with a new courage, a new bravery to walk in our Christian walk. In your mighty name. Amen. So, today, as one of the most popular subjects I can speak on is um, persecution. Standing for his name. And, you know, persecution is one of these things don't off- we don't often speak about it. It's one of the great things about go- taking time to go through a book because you hit certain parts and it's like, okay, you know, can't- we don't skip around these things. We go into it. So, whose name are you standing for? Because persecution really is the fire in which that question is tested in a sense whereby sometimes we, we can say, especially for us living in a free world, yes, 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 but when the rubber hits the road, that is the fire it's tested in. It's not something that we often look at. It can be a bit of an ugly topic, can't it? It's, it's not an easy topic. We are very fortunate amongst kind of the Western world where we live in or come from many of us come from different nations whereby people for hundreds of years have been persecuted and that's built this foundation of faith that they've gone through it before us and we enjoy that freedom today people all over the world are willing to risk it for their own name for their own glory and and these kind of things they're willing to suffer for their name take the risk that maybe leads them into suffering but when but persecution is when we suffer for his name persecution's when we're suffering for his glory for his kingdom when that's more important to us when his name is more important to us than ours and it could be that it's like really slight that it's just ridicule and for pretty much that's the worst thing that can happen to us in 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 the free world that that we'll we're ridiculed, but it can go right through to having liberties taken away from us around the world. It can go to being attacked, being physically harmed, being harassed, having pressure put on our private lives, all the way through to being killed for standing for his name, costing us our lives. So, so today, as I say, we're going to look at Acts 12. So if you've got your Bibles, open, open Acts 12, because Acts 12 is this picture of persecution and of standing for a name, standing for his name. And it's this story of persecution and people standing for his name that's also intertwined with the story of a man standing for his own name, standing for his own glory, standing to make his story instead of his story. So verses 1 to 3, it says, Now about that time, Herod, the king, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So let's talk about persecution. We're going to start on point one, persecution. And this passage, we see persecution happening. We see disciples, normal people, being harassed, being arrested. We see James, a prominent figure in the church, is killed. And then Peter, he's arrested and he's imprisoned. 
Now, we are fortunate enough to live in, in a free world or in the free world where these kind of things don't happen to us. But actually, there's never been a time in history where persecution against believers, persecution against people who stand for the name of Jesus has been so great. Open Doors is an organization that helps and works with the persecuted church. I'm just going to share with you guys some statistics to put it into perspective of what the picture is like today. Today, they report that about 215 million Christians experience high levels of persecution in countries on the world watch list. No, that's not ridicule. That's not the kind of stuff pressure we may face in the West. This is 215 million people on earth today experiencing high levels of persecution. To put that in perspective, the population of the world at the time of Jesus was just 300 million people. So that's over two-thirds of the global population experiencing persecution. Another thing to put in perspective, the fifth most popular nation today on earth is Brazil. That has a population of 210 million. So people, Christians, undergoing severe, intense persecution is greater than the population of Brazil today. It represents about one in 12 Christians worldwide. And over ranking, and there's different things they take into account. And North Korea, there's a lot we don't hear from the country, but North Korea, you can go online and look at some of the stats, some of the things like camps like Auschwitz and concentration camps for Christians today that exist. It's ranked number one for persecution against Christians for the 16th year in a row since 2002. During the reporting period for 2018, so maybe it was a year, but often these reporting periods are a bit less. They said within that period, 3,066 Christians were killed. If you take that and just go on average and you say it's an entire year and you take the number of hours, that's one Christian killed every two hours and 50 minutes. Since you got up this morning, and whilst we're here, believers have been killed for their faith. That 1,252 people were abducted, and 1,020 have been sexually assaulted or worse. And then 793 churches have been attacked just in that reporting period. It seems crazy. It's like, how does this happen? Why is it that persecution happens? Well, there's a long explanation. But ultimately, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where, where people put other things before other people, right? We see it in all kinds of different things, where people kill, where people murder. We ultimately live in a fallen world where people have a choice, where people have free will, that they have the freedom to choose God and follow him and put their life forward, surrender their lives to Jesus. But at the same time, they have the freedom to choose to persecute. Christians. Nobody, no Christians, pray for persecution. Right? We pray to stop persecution. We pray for the persecutor. Well, you know, no one prays for people to be persecuted or for people to be persecuted. And so holding that at the same time, there is this fascinating counterintuitive thing that happens in times of trial. There's this kind of joy reported by people who are in these trials, this kind of joy that we grow in our faith in this unique way. 
It's something to do with experiencing something and sharing something with Jesus himself. There's this intimacy with him that otherwise is an experience. James 1, 2-4 says this. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is this strange thing that's hard to understand, but those who have been persecuted report that through it, instead of being crushed and spiritually like devastated and just walking away from faith, that they have been fueled. Do you guys remember in 2007, there were 23 Korean missionaries to Afghanistan who were kidnapped by the Taliban and they were kept by the Taliban for six weeks. And then after six weeks of this terrible captivity, they were released and they went back to Seoul. And one of the ladies, after they were back in Seoul for a while, one of the ladies said this amazing quote that's been used around the world. And it's, like, it's so hard to understand. I can't understand it. But she said to the pastor who was there with her in captivity, she said, Pastor, don't you wish we were still imprisoned by the Taliban? When I was surrounded by those soldiers, I felt the presence of Jesus in there with me. Now that we're back in Seoul, I'm trying to experience that intimacy with him, but I can't. I fast and I pray and I don't feel it. I would rather be back there because of the intimacy I had with him. Strange, right? There is an intimacy with Jesus that we experience when we suffer for his name. And it's hard to understand, and it's not something the Bible says, you know, go and long after being persecuted. And the Bible actually says that you just, you know, walking this life of Christ, actually, you will be persecuted. But there's an encouragement there, and I share it, for, because who knows where life goes? Maybe in one day, you're in a situation, maybe a situation like that, maybe not quite as bad, but encourage yourself that if you ever find yourself in a place of persecution, that there is... On the one hand, it's not good, and we'd be praying that that doesn't happen. We'd be praying that you'd be released. But on the other hand, that there is a beauty in relationship with Jesus in that place. One Chinese church leader, he was arrested because he was a Christian, and he spent 23 years in prison. 23 years! You know, it's a long time. And when coming out and speaking with somebody who'd never experienced persecution, to do with this relationship with God, he, he kind of challenged them. He said, I was pushed into a cell, but you have to push yourself into one. You have no time to know God. You need to build yourself a cell so you can do for yourself what persecution did for me. Simplify your life and know God. Yeah, we don't go off running to like get arrested and put in a prison cell. But there's something about just taking that time. There's something amazing that these guys have experienced, that actually Jesus is with us in that place. I find it amazing that the persecuted church, that even in their brokenness, where their buildings are burnt down, the pastors are killed, and sometimes all that's left in some places is just like children, right? And they're the guys who have to run the church, that despite all that, despite the hostility, despite everything, the church grows. And through that experience, the church grows and they have this incredible love and trust and intimacy with him as they put his name first 
as they surrender all for him. Persecution, it can happen in many different forms as well, can't it? There's so many different ways. It can be very aggressive and physical. It can be by a community, but it's illegal to happen by the state. It can be by the state. There's so many different ways. It can be people who directly don't want Christians to be practicing. It can be indirectly, whereby actually it's not, they're not really bothered about the religion, but there's, they, they want to please these people over here, so they're stopping this. They're trying to keep some status quo between the culture of that place. So all sorts of things can happen. And within this story, persecution is allowed because one man, this guy Herod, the king, King Herod, he's seeking his own glory. He's seeking to be liked. He's seeking to make a name for himself. The the historian Josephus, he, uh, not a Christian, the historian Josephus wrote about this Herod. He said popularity was the ruling passion of this Herod. He was not naturally so cruel as some of the family. His granddad, Christmas Herod, Christmas Herod, you know Herod from the Christmas story, Herod the Great, killed all the babies, didn't he? This guy's not so cruel. He's just wanting people's approval. He's wanting to be popular. This is Herod Agrippa. So Peter's arrested solely because it makes the Jews happy because it, it, it's growing his popularity. And Herod sees that it pleases them, so he arrests, he arrests Jesus. Sorry, he, he arrests Peter and throws him into, into prison, even though he knows that Peter's one of the main guys in this movement. If you think of this church that's existing there, they've seen, and this is in Jerusalem, ground zero, they've seen hundreds, they've seen thousands of people healed. The city completely turned around. They've seen the care of people who otherwise society was just leaving out to the dogs. So these guys are actually good for the community. And yet, he throws them in prison. Do we stand for the name of Jesus in love, in respect, despite the outcome set before us, despite what may happen? You know, for us, most likely the outcome that the challenge for us is being ridiculed, being told you're an idiot, you know, being, being mocked because of what you say. And there are times, you know, maybe we can shy away for, from saying what we believe is true, from standing up for the name of Jesus, from lifting up the name of Jesus, for, being fear, for fear of being ridiculed. Is our name, is our reputation more important than us, than his name, than his reputation, than his glory? So persecution. Second point is prayer. Prayer. Prayer to do with persecution. Though. So fellowship with the persecuted. It says uh, in verses, um, kind of the end of three and then four and five, it says, now it was during the days of unleavened bread when he had seized him. He put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending that after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. The church are fervent in prayer. They're not saying, well, this is awesome. You know, he's going to have such intimacy with Jesus. No, the church is praying for him, praying for his safety, praying that he's going to be well, praying for his release. And it says it's in the days of unleavened bread, that the unleavened bread section, that's seven days long. Sometimes we read it and it's just like, bang, okay, well, maybe it's overnight, he's in prison or something like that. It's seven days. It's a long time to be in prison. 
It's a long time to have a prayer meeting. Okay, we'll try one one time for any of you guys who are up for it. Seven day prayer meeting. It's a long time to be they're fervently in prayer. They're praying, see him released. Notice there that kind of heart wrenching, toiling, brotherly, like we're coming in this with you. That they're almost putting themselves in a prison to be with him, even though they can't actually be with him. They're not there with him, but actually the prayer, prayer for the persecuted is the best kind of fellowship for those who are being persecuted. And we are all fortunate to live in a wonderful, developed, incredible city where they're, we're free from physical persecution. And whilst for, mo- for most of us, we can't physically go and be, you know, we can't physically go and be with our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted. We can fellowship with them in prayer, that we can pray for them. And so I, I encourage you guys that don't, don't forget that. You know, Brother Andrew, he says, our prayers can go where we cannot. Brother Andrew set up open doors. It says, there is no borders, no prison walls, no doors that are closed to us when we pray. But for us in the comfort and the busyness, we are busy, don't we? In the busyness of our lives, let's not forget there are millions and millions of our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. So let's pray for them. Let's lift them up. Open doors, they actually send out prayer reports and newsletter. You can go on their website and sign up for that and have email come in and then be seeing about the different things that are happening and, and be praying into those things. I encourage you guys, make part of your prayer life praying for the persecuted church. And there's nothing that encourages those guys more when they hear that they have brothers and sisters in these different places around the world who are praying for them, who are standing with them, who are supporting them. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoner." And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You know, for me, I haven't done that. You know? And I find it challenging. So I'm like, man, in all the busyness, and we start a church and got to get the website running and these things. It's so easy to forget the persecuted church. Forget these guys who are really surrendering everything for his name. So let's pray for them. Stand with them. I say, you know, let it find a place in your heart where we never forget that these people aren't like a stat from an organization, but they're brothers and sisters, they're husbands and wives, they're sons and their daughters, they're friends. Prayer is a vital way to encourage them. And there's this depth and beauty in our fellowship with those guys. But actually, it's not just like, oh, please help these, these people that are going through this, but... We are one with them in Christ. There is a fellowship that we have with them. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it tells us that, that, we're, that we're one body, that when one member of the body suffers, that we all suffer. But actually, because we are one with them, we're one with them in Christ, that when one member is lifted up, that all members rejoice. So persecuted Christians and Christians in the free world we're not a different entity. We're not, we're not different. We're all part of one church, all part of one body. Point number three is no prison is too deep. No prison too deep. 
from verse 6. It says, On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourselves and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you, follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real. He didn't think it was real, but thought he was seeing a a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that that leads into the city, which opens for them by itself. And they went out along the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. There is no prison too deep, there's no prison too dark, no situation too hopeless that the Lord cannot break in and rescue us. The the Jews are expecting Peter's trial and death, false trial probably, in the morning, right? But God brought light and life. It's a scene here, it shows a picture. What's going on with Peter here is actually a picture of something greater that's happened in Peter's life. Because it's a picture of the impact of the gospel on Peter's life. Now, Peter, what's happening there, Peter has four sets of guards. He has, it says there's four, four sets. So there's 16 guards, and they're split into four, and four on at each time. And, and then they're in these four shifts watching him. I mean, it's quite a funny picture, because here's this, this ex-fisherman. It's obvious that they thought this guy is somebody. So there's this ex-fisherman who's guarded like Bane out of Batman or something like that. It's like this super villain, you know, skyscraper underground, in a perspex, clear box, that kind of thing. Laser, laser security of the, of the age. There's no way this guy's getting out. No way. Seems a little overkill. You've got two guards next to Peter sleeping either side. Or Peter sleeping, you've got two guards either side. Then you've got two guards on the gates outside. And, you know, it was a custom... What they would do is they would chain, um, usually you'd just have one guard in there, and they would have the left hand of the guard chained to the right hand of the prisoner, um, so the guard can use his sword in the right hand of the prisoner, couldn't be used. Likely, in this situation, if there's two guards there, they're both chained to Peter. Like, I mean, just look at it, it's just like a crazy situation. Like, this guy is not getting out, you know. We may be in physical situations that seem impossible like that, where we're chained up in the side, God. I don't know a way out of this. And I bet you guys have testimonies and stories of how God has released those chains. And you look back and like, how on earth did that happen? You know, this story here for Peter, it tells of a far greater reality, a far more serious, inescapable situation. And it points to how hopeless our situation is. And Peter's situation was before Christ, before the gospel in the bondage of sin and death. Because it's the same. It's so, there's no escape from it. The the chains of sin will hold us until death comes. But there, in the dark, where there seems to be no hope, in the final day, Christ's light shines. It sets us free. None of it is because Peter's super clever or, or he's picked a lock or anything like that, but it's all because of God. It's all on Jesus. Peter doesn't even realize what's happening. No. When we come to God, we maybe can't even fully fathom our journey of, of salvation, our journey and his greatness and his grace. 
but God's still working. And that's the story of Christianity, that you aren't strong enough to break the bonds, that you can't escape the prison, that you aren't good enough to pay the price. No matter how good you are, no matter how many good deeds you do, still that prisoner, that there is only one, Jesus Christ, who became the prisoner so that you would be free. Jesus Christ, who descended into darkness so that you would be able to be raised to light. Jesus Christ, the innocent one who died so that you, the guilty one, could live. So guys, I know many of you guys do. Follow him today. Follow him. He is worthy. He is worthy. You know, we speak about this story of Peter, but there are other stories like that in modern times. Brother Yun, a Chinese brother who was arrested when there was great persecution going on there and put in prison and an angel appears to him in a very similar story where the angel tells him to get up and he gets up and starts walking. The door to his cell opens and he goes out and he starts walking there are guards and he's just walking past the guards. True story. You can read it, read it in his book, The Heavenly Man. And he's walking out and he's going through and as he gets to the gates, loads of gates, this is a high, high security modern Chinese prison, you know, the gate will open and he carries on walking through and he keeps going, he gets out into the yard, walks through the front gate, he goes out the front gate, he stops on the road, a taxi pulls up, he gets into the taxi and drives off. Incredible story, amazing book, The Heavenly Man. But at the same time, thousands of his brothers, thousands of many other people in China, died for their faith. And so for us, <laughs> it can be a wrestling thing that actually the greatest hope is we pray that there's life. Right? But the greatest hope, the greatest thing, isn't that an angel will show up and release us. Maybe that'll happen, and that's great. Maybe that can happen. You know, sometimes if someone, if things don't go right, it's like, why has God allowed this? Why has that happened? But you know, the Bible's pitch, the high priority, the great hope, is actually in Scripture, is in our eternity. That no matter what the persecution, there is nothing that can take away that righteousness. Nothing that can take away that standing before God, that Christ is one. But we're secure in him. And no, no matter how terrible the situation may be, at the same time, there is an unspeakable joy because we're already free. So there are stories and accounts of Christians back in Roman times when they were fed to the lions. So they'd have the games and there would be slaves put out. Many of this it was a punishment for Christians and they were given the sword and sometimes not even given swords. Many Christians actually refused to take any weapons. So they went out into the arena and then the lions killed them. And there are accounts of just how much it struck the people cleaning away the dead bodies where actually on their faces were smiles. Why were they smiling? Were they smiling because they thought, oh, wow, this is fantastic. I'm being fed to lions. I couldn't have imagined the day going any better. No, no. They're smiling and they've got peace because they were not prisoners and slaves being fed to lions. They were free. They were secure in Jesus. That They have a peace that nothing on earth can counter. So fourth point, courage, strength, and obedience. It says this from verse 12 down to 17. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant named Rhoda came to answer. 
When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the front gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Courage, strength, obedience. Courage, you know, imagine that situation that these guys are all in. There are disciples being taken off. James, who's like one of Jesus's best friends, like the inner three, has just been killed. This is like really, like real serious stuff going on. And Peter's been arrested. It takes great courage to decide to hold a large gathering in your home, to have this big, long prayer gathering. Imagine the courage that that took. I think this lady Mary is a great heroine of the Bible. It doesn't mention her much, but she was obviously had a place large enough to have people coming into her house to hold this kind of meeting. And imagine the risk that she took. Imagine the risk that all those believers there came in. Words from neighbors being there for a long time could have been devastating. It takes courage. They, as believers, they show great boldness in the face of this potential arrest and persecution. Their main goal is not their own safety, right? It could be possible to run away and hide. Their main goal is Peter, Peter's safety. It's the spread of the gospel. It's seeing Christ glorified. That these guys, they're incredibly weak. Like they've got not a foot to stand on. They're weak, but they're strong. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, it says... That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, it's weird. It's hard to understand. Because it's like, okay, we pray that we won't be persecuted, but then when we are, we delight in it. <laughs> you know? And one of the great lessons from that, hearing from people within the persecuted church, is that actually true strength, this isn't coming from human means and my skill and my degree and my ability and my character to be able to do stuff and be strong. But actually, it comes from Jesus. And often it takes us being at our weakest points to highlight that, to really realize and really grasp what it means in First John 4, 4, where it says, the one who is in you. Remember, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And actually getting that concept and living from that place, because that is true strength. And then there is this beautiful obedience to God through this. See, Peter, despite the persecution, despite all the stuff that's going on, is obedient and follows Jesus' command. Back in Matthew 10, 23, Jesus says, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Peter doesn't lose it. He could have said, like, this is ridiculous. You know, this is too dangerous. I'm not doing this. I'm not putting my family through this. Okay, I'll just, like, I'm out. He could have also said, no, no, this is my home. We're planting a church here. We're starting a church here. I'm not going anywhere. His goal isn't anything to do with him. His goal is to spread the gospel. See, he's focused on lifting up the name of Jesus. He spends his energies on making the name of Jesus greater than every other name. What then? That's a challenge for us today is what name are we making? 
What name are we prioritizing? What name are we putting first? Point number five, making a name. Verse 18 says, now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace, because their country was fed by the king's country. Remember, still a famine on. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Are we trying to make a name for ourselves or for him? Whose name is more valuable to us, our name or his name, our reputation or his reputation? See, Peter is arrested, he's chained, he's put in a prison for a week because the name of Jesus is more important to him than the name of Peter. And Christians all over the world are persecuted because they choose to make the name of Jesus the priority in countries where doing so will lead to persecution. You know, actually quite often, it, we, we, I put, well, I put these things together, standing for his name in persecution, because for many people under persecution, they're also given the choice, you know, recount, like change your mind, start following our religion instead of this, deny this Jesus. So actually persecution for much of the time comes because it is standing for his name, because it is refusing to budge. Herod, he's known for wanting people to like him. That's what shared earlier and in this roman upper class culture it was all about your legacy and what name you're making for yourself what glory people will remember you for your fame and all these kind of things and he's he's already king but he's wanting more he's already he's already got a whole bunch of stuff but it's still not enough and herod imprisons peter doesn't he to try and please the jews to gain popularity amongst the people who he's ruling and then the morning comes, Peter's not there, everybody freaks out. It's the last morning. That's the funny thing. We'll see that in a second. But everyone freaks out. Guards freak out. Herod freaks out. And then Herod questions the guards. Now, within that, the text there, there's something kind of interesting because Herod questions the guards. Okay? Um, some kings at this point, in this moment, they would have marveled. We've seen different kings through kings who don't believe through, through scripture, who actually humble themselves. There are kings who would have humbled themselves, who would have recognized the hand of God in this situation because really there was no way that the guards were at fault. There was no way that the guards were asleep. You see, for a Roman guard, a bit of the context, for a Roman guard, remember there are four of them as well, for a Roman guard, if you were to fall asleep on your guard duty, you would be executed. But the execution wasn't like a nice execution, a quick kind of, you have your head cut off or something like that. It's a very hard execution where you're actually, you're killed by your friends. So you'd be killed by your, your legion and you'd be beaten to death by your legion. But they'd have to do it with their hands, occasionally maybe clubs. But it's just such a horrible thing that no one's going to laugh and say, even if you don't like somebody, you know, in your, in your legion, that if there's four of you on, 
There's no way, even your two of you out at the outer gates, there's no way you guys are falling asleep. And also there are four watchers, so these guys aren't even overstretched. So Herod, see, he hears from these guards, and it's blatant that something supernatural has happened. Something incredible has happened. But what's Herod do? He's only concerned with himself, with his name. And he makes it look like a mistake of the guards. That they, these guys have messed up, so he ends up getting them executed rather than admitting that God has done something amazing in that place. Because if he did, he'd upset the Jews. But in the long run, he disappoints the Jews anyway because Peter's not even there in the morning. What does he do? He actually runs away. He runs away from Jerusalem. He goes down to Caesarea. He leaves the mainly Jewish town and goes to the very Roman town, that, the main Roman city in Israel. And so Herod is just focused on this him. He's making a name for myself. He's so focused on self, so focused on his story, his glory, that he misses this opportunity to discover the one who is truly great. So many people in the world today are in exactly the same place. History tells us that these games that he speaks at, well, they're actually games. Well, the rostrum, it speaks of him standing at the rostrum and speaking to everybody. If you've ever seen any Roman, like, uh, Roman TV, Roman TV, if you've ever seen any program about, <laughs> about, um, about Romans and there's, like, the gladiators fighting, there was kind of a throne section where the real, you know, the main box or whatever, the rostrum's like the, that throne section that he would have spoken from. And he's... Probably putting these games on in AD 44, when he dies, to, to honor the Emperor Claudius, who's coming back from Britain and kind of have this big display of his wealth and power and all these things. And he has these special clothes made, these kind of chiffon reflective clothing. So when he stood, the place that he stood at in, in that place in Caesarea, which is where it took place, when the sun hit him, he shone. And so he was speaking, and these people cry out, cry out, voice of God, not a man. And, you know, it's everything that he, it's, it's him, isn't it? It's everything he, he's wanted to hear, and he just doesn't, he basks in it, doesn't turn it, say, no, 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 and give God the glory. And in that moment, he's struck down and dies. And all this, actually, that whole, that whole situation is recorded by the non-Christian historian Josephus as well. He's so focused on making a name for himself that he, he misses the name above every other name. So if we're more focused on making a name for ourselves and making his name famous, we're going to miss so much, let alone stand in the face of persecution. We maybe would even fear to risk stepping up to it. So ask yourself, what name are we making? What names do we prioritize? So last point now, guys, I'm running to the end, is to him be the glory. It says... Verse 24 and 25. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. Remember, they're going back to Antioch. When they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Ultimately, and here's the thing, ultimately God will be glorified. For some weird reason, when there's persecution, the church grows. You know, we saw the church in China explode under intense persecution. Now it's the, one of the largest churches in the world. We see when persecution comes against the church, more people are added to the number. And it just doesn't seem like good marketing tactics for something, right? It doesn't, does it? Hey, you know, 
come and join us and possibly be imprisoned or killed. That, that's like a slogan for some, really, that's what it would be like. If you like, see these Christians, well, they're either imprisoned, they're killed, or they're persecuted. Hey, I fancy joining those guys. But for some reason, the numbers grow. It's what happens. God is ultimately glorified. And just look at this picture at the end. At the end of um, this chapter, I think it speaks about Saul and Barnabas. They're returning. Remember, it actually is referencing at the end of chapter 11. Remember last week, the last point was on generosity, that the church in Antioch had given this big financial gift to the Jews in Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem, and they'd taken it all the way there, delivered by um, Saul and Barnabas, and this is them now heading back. So it's still a time of famine. That's why they sent the gift. It's still a time of famine. And despite all the challenges, all the persecution that's going on in that time, all the injustice that's happening, God is glorified and the word of the Lord continues to grow and the numbers of disciples are multiplying going from strength to strength and we have this financial blessing pouring into Jerusalem there I just just think about the situation because I think it's a it's an incredible picture of reacting to persecution that the Jews you know they've been encouraging and instigating persecution against the Jerusalem church one of their key leaders, James, has been killed. Peter's been arrested. Loads of disciples have been harassed. Everyone in the city is struggling with food. And then this Gentile church, who the Jews say they hate. Remember, the, the, see the Gentiles as dogs. See the Gentiles as kindling for the fires of hell, that we spoke about last week. That actually they send all this provision in love for this Jewish church in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, this persecuted church. And those guys in Jerusalem could have been like, well, get stuffed, you know, we're, we're going to get, you've been persecuting us, we're going to get, we're going to sort ourselves out. And, um, you know, sorry guys, we were going to help you, community, but jog on now. But actually, I, I know it doesn't say it in the text, but it makes literally no sense for this not to have happened because the way that the early Christian communities lived was they poured blessing out on their communities. You may remember some of the quotes we spoke about last week, that they helped and they loved everybody, not just themselves. That the very people who had persecuted them would have benefited from their generosity and their blessing. That they're persecuted because they're so intent on Jesus and lifting up the name of Jesus and they've surrendered all to him. But also the city is transformed. Many come to faith for the exact same reason because they're so intent on the name of Jesus that because of him, they love those who are persecuting him and they see him glorified. In Romans 12, 20, it says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And I just think that's this awesome picture of this world with people who are fools, really, and the cruelty of people and that despite all of that, that God can bring some amazing, amazing thing to bear, that, that God can be glorified, that love can win out, that people, that more people are saved and his kingdom grows. So guys, let's just have a quiet, like a quiet moment. And I just um, want you guys to think about this, respond to this. I want to encourage you guys to, I want to encourage you to pray for the persecuted church. Go sign up to the, the Open Doors newsletter. 
Just make it part of your week where you're praying for them. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you guys have actually experienced quite a lot of persecution in the past and you have hold an anger and an unforgiveness. Maybe you need to forgive the per, those who are persecuted. And I encourage you as you pray for the persecuted church, pray for those who are persecuting as well. Pray for the persecutors. And today really is a personal challenge, guys. I just want to challenge you. Whose name are you standing for? Whose name are you standing for? And I say we probably won't be physical persecution here, but we could face ridicule. Is standing for his name, for the name of Jesus, more important to you than your name? And just take some time to worship, take some time in silence just to, to speak to God. Be, you know, be real with yourselves as well. But he is, is he greater than every other thing? in your life is he greater than every other thing if you're here today and you know you've never accepted Jesus you've said no to him you know, you've in the past said said no Jesus but actually in something I've said today you want to start following him today if that's you if that is you if you want to start following him start to just put, put your hand up if you want to start Holy Spirit, come afresh and just, guys, if, if you want this, you just put your hands open. Just about praying for being filled with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just come and fall on, fall on these guys afresh just now. Come and fill us afresh from the tops of our heads to the soles of our feet. Do a work in us, do a work in our hearts, God. Let us know you more, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would have boldness to stand up for the name of your Son, Jesus. Lord, I, I pray that we would have boldness in our workplaces. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh with a fresh boldness. That we would have boldness to stand up for you in our schools in love, not obnoxiously, God, but just in, in a genuine, loving way. God, Lord, let, let us not fear, let us not fear the words of people. As each of you know what he's what he's saying to you, maybe challenging you to start something afresh, maybe challenging you to maybe even learn how to share your faith. If, um, if that's you and you don't know how, then come and ask me about it. Father God, as we sing this last song, as we worship you, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak to our hearts, Lord. Come and work in our hearts God, that we would have courage in our lives, God, to stand up for your name, that we would have remembrance, God, to pray for your, for your church, God, for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted, to keep them near our mind, God, and that above all things, Lord, that we would live a life surrendered to you. We would live a life putting your name above every other name. In your mighty name, Jesus.